Welcome back to Time Out with the Sports Doctor podcast, where life, sports, and medicine intersect. We're very glad that you continue to support this podcast. You can get the information on any platform uh, where podcasts are played, as well as getting the video content on YouTube. But if you want to just get one place to find all the content, go to my website at drgarrickthesportsdoctor.com and you will find everything on that website. So without further ado, let's get into this episode. Welcome back to another episode of Time Out with the Sports Doctor podcast. I have another very special guest with me today, Reverend Wesley Thompson. Uh, he's already disrespecting me coming onto my show <laughs> with his colors on, but it's one love, you know, one love for the divine nine. We got it. He's a member of Alpha Phi Alpha, as you can see, um, but he's also a young man who's balancing a lot as an author, um, a husband, a father, a pastor, and a politician. So, you know, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to come on to my podcast, and I really am looking forward to this conversation. Oh man, uh, Dr. Burgess, it's it's an honor to be asked uh, to be on your podcast, man. I've I've been following it um, for quite some time. You you especially during the pandemic, man. You uh you really you know gave uh, me and I know many of, uh, of of individuals who were stuck at home and just looking for you know something to to find some hope in, find some encouragement, some motivation in. And that's when I really, really, really uh just intrigued by what you were doing and been intrigued ever since. So uh, it's it's truly an honor. I appreciate it. And, you know, you mentioned a podcast. I mean, the pandemic, that was actually kind of the birth of this podcast. I hosted a couple of sessions about uh, COVID-19 just to get the information out. And, you know, once I did that, I was like, okay, I could really do this. I could do a podcast. I can lead conversations that are meaningful to people. So you never know what's going to give you that spark that you're kind of looking for at times, you know. That's right, man. And that's the thing. It's just, you know, as they say, in every bad situation, and no doubt the pandemic, a global, a global catastrophe, um, such a horrible uh, thing. But uh, as they say, in every bad situation, there's there's something good you can pull out of it if, if you try. So I consider this what you've established here, that, that, that good spark that you just mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I said you're a pastor, but not only are you a pastor, you've taken over as the lead pastor of my home church, Bethel Carver Missionary Baptist Church, where I grew up, you know, from my whole life. You know, there's many stories. I don't know if you've heard stories, but if you ask around, I did a lot of crying in that church growing up. So, <laughs> and I can always remember uh, leading out of the back stairwell as you go downstairs, as that exit door. When you get down the first flight of stairs before you go down to the basement and that door, leads to the back of the church and sometimes when the day wasn't going right you know we would exit the back of the church uh for a little uh disciplinary action so to speak <laughs> <laughs> but yeah man so a lot of memories in the church for sure but i'm glad to see that it's in great hands under your leadership um and that you're continuing to move and grow and continuing to do god's work yeah man it's it's it's, it's an honor to be there and uh of course you know your your, your family is uh you know richly established in their church and you know i always tell the story of how i got there bethel carbert it will be 140 years old uh in in may uh we said our 140th church anniversary founded in 1883 and of course as you know derek um pastor leo owens was the pastor there 
Uh, he's my predecessor. He was there for 50 years. And I always tell this, yeah. this quick story in that when Pastor Owens decided to retire and some of the deacons had reached out to me to you know, possibly consider putting my name in a hat to become the next pastor at the time, I mean, yeah, I had graduated with my Master of Divinity degree, had some ministerial experience under my belt as far as a youth pastor, but had never been a, a lead pastor of a church. Um, 28 years old, so I'm thinking, you know, Bethel, as you said, you know, prominent church in the community, uh, well-established. And I'm like, y'all are not going to go from a 50-year veteran like Leo Owens to a young but 28-year-old who had never pastored a church before. But uh, just as he has done plenty of times, uh, in my life, God reminded me uh, that our ways and our thoughts are not his. And he uh, definitely uh, pulled a surprise on me. And it's, it's been a blessing ever since uh, just the partnership between pastor and pew, uh, pastor and parishioner. So I'm honored to, to serve there. And, and every time you and your family are able to visit, it's just, it'd be so good to, to see you all there. Yeah. So you mentioned, I knew you were less than 30 when you took the job. So you were 28 years old. And as you mentioned, you were taking over for somebody who was young when he came, but 50 years later, you know, well into at least the 70s. So let's talk about being 28. Number one, being ready for this position. You probably didn't feel ready for the position day one, but talk about the preparation as a young man to step into a role that big. What, it, you know, what qualities did you feel like you really had to have? And, you know, did you feel any kind of imposter syndrome about that role, stepping into a role that big? I think one thing that helped with me as far as stepping into it and, and getting my start is that the, the way that the transition happened, when most churches, particularly uh, Baptist churches, uh, when a pastor, when there's a pastoral transition, a new pastor coming in, it can come in by way of, you know, that pre the previous pastor leaving to go to another assignment or the previous pastor, you know, dying, that, that that happens. You know, the previous pastor, unfortunately, being being kicked out, you know, there's, there's some trouble. And there's a void in leadership there uh, between the previous pastor and whenever the new, whenever the church decides to, you know, uh, elect or choose a, a new pastor. There was never a void because even though Pastor Owens retired, he was still there uh, along the process of the church uh you know, calling me as the pastor, God calling me as the pastor there. So I officially, let me see, it was the first Sunday in May that the church voted and I was elected as a pastor. But my predecessor, Pastor Owens, his official last Sunday was the third Sunday, or excuse me, the second Sunday in June. So it gave me a month and a half to be there, but not in the official capacity as pastor because Pastor Owens was still there. So it gave me a month and a half to be his understudy while at the same time getting to know the people before officially being you know their pastor so once that month and a half was over there was already an established rapport uh there between between myself and the people and literally just a passing of the torch uh from pastor owens to me and one thing i i love about bethel carpet is that past with pastor owens 50 years and now my soon to be six years it's a church that for 56 consecutive years can say that they've never gone a day without having a pastor. And I think there's something beautiful about that. That's, that's, that's very rare. As far as my readiness for it, I always was confident knowing that who I am, my, my faith, my, my seriousness that I, I take in the ministry, and of course my education, I knew that I, I checked all the points when it came to that. But I, I think 
there's something to say, no matter how successful or accomplished or educated a person is, uh, there's always that, you know, I'm not going to call it a voice, but, you know, that thought in the back of your head where it's like asking, is you asking yourself, you know, is that enough? Mm-hmm. And I had, I, I had that thought. I'm like, you know, uh, this could be a great opportunity, but, but am I enough? I'm 28, you know, I'm just coming back from, to the area from Atlanta, you know, is that enough? And that's when my faith kicked in and it reminded me that when those thoughts of am I enough creep in, that's when you really have to allow God to say where you feel like you lack trust in me to make up for. Uh, so that's what God spoke to me to just handle, you know, handle the situation as far as, you know, uh, if, if, it's, if it was God's will for me to be the pastor, then it would be. If it was not his will for me to be the pastor, then it wouldn't be. Uh, and on to the, to, the, to the next journey, whatever that may have looked like. But, uh, of course, six years later, it, it was obviously God's will. And one thing about pastoring at a young age, I never forget when I was the youth pastor at the church I was at in Atlanta, there was a deacon, God bless his soul, Deacon James Merritt, who was living, he was still living at the time, but we had a very, very good conversation. And I was, I was younger then, I was probably about 25 then. And I said, Deacon Merritt, you know, how, how come a lot of older churches, established churches, uh, older church members, how come they're hesitant about getting, you know, a young pastor and, you know, in, in their 20s, early 20s? He said, we want people who have gone through life experiences. Mm-hmm. So as we'll talk about here in, in a bit, uh, I went through quite the life experience. And by the time I was elected as pastor of Bethel, I was I often think back on that conversation with Deacon Merritt and tell myself that, you know, that experience that I, I went through personally uh, was my preparation to be able to, to, to take on, uh, you know, the challenge and the task of, of pastoring a, a great Again, prominent established church. Yeah, so you know you already threw the alley oop, so we might as well slam it home, right? So you're in your late twenties, but like you mentioned, life has already happened, and you're already you know a father, already a husband. But talk to us how you end up becoming the author of your first book. Talk to us about that experience. Yeah, so I wrote a book entitled "In Sickness and in Health: The Story of Love, Strength, and Faith," and it stemmed from a situation, an experience. Uh, that myself and my wife went through when we were living in Atlanta. So it was in August of 2015 that uh, we were pregnant. In fact, um, I remember coming back here to the shows like two weeks before to, you know, tell some close family members that that we were pregnant. And, you know, my wife and I, my wife, she's a social worker, has her bachelor's and master's degree in social work at the time when we were living in Atlanta. I was working at the university that I graduated from. Uh, Mercer University, uh, also working as a youth pastor. My wife, she was working for organization there, a prominent organization in Fulton County. So, you know, we're young, you know, we, we in ATL, you know, we feel, I mean, we're feeling good about ourselves, you know, young people, young professionals in, in the booming city of Atlanta and, you know, you know, especially our first child and, you know, life was really just, just, I mean, life could not have been uh, at a better projection. Um, But then all of a sudden it was, it was late August. And my wife just became very sick, um, had to put her in the hospital. She was in the hospital for about two weeks. And in that two week span, as far as the beginning stages of it, uh, she was uh, placed in ICU. She was placed in medically induced coma. And the doctors have no idea what in the world is going on. I mean, they're testing for thing that if, if, if it's 
vasculitis. They're testing to see if some other languages, some, some other diagnoses that they have mentioned that I have never heard of before. And they're, they're, they're taking all these tests, but everything keeps coming back negative and they, they just don't know. So we were at Northside Hospital in Atlanta because that's where her OBGYN was. So I just figured might as well just take her there. But I had a, a church member and, and a friend of ours who ironically was uh, a nurse on the neurological ICU floor at Emory University Hospital. And she confided in me and said, hey, I'm talking to one of the doctors. Uh, I think you need to transfer her here uh, so we can look at some things. So I did that and come to find out, make a long story short, they did a test for uh, a rare brain disorder called anti-NMDA receptor encephalitis. I uh, sent that test off to, to uh, John Hopkins and it came back positive. Uh, very rare brain disorder, um, only about 1,000 people a year are diagnosed with it, uh, mostly diagnosed in women. So she ended up uh, being hospitalized uh, and been in the hospital for four straight months, half that time on a, yeah, half that time on a ventilator uh, while pregnant, while pregnant, while pregnant. And even at Emory, they had dealt with, I want to say, maybe about a little less than a dozen cases of uh, anti-NMDA. But what made my wife's situation so unique was that she was pregnant. So the treatment for this disorder, it calls for various chemotherapy drugs to be given. But with her being pregnant, it would have caused possibility of harm to the baby. So I had to make the tough decision to either A, keep the pregnancy, decide the, for the doctors to go mildly with the chemo drugs so that she can somewhat progress because, I mean, it was just getting, I mean, it, it was getting bound to where, man, I'm close to where she was not going to make it unless they did this treatment. But in doing that, if I chose that option, knowing that it would be a huge risk to the baby, they were going to have to do an emergency C-section at 28 weeks. And we were just waiting until that time hit the knowing that with those chemo drugs, that it could be a huge risk to the baby as far as uh, deformities and uh, possi possibly, um, you know, non-survival. Or B, uh, terminate the pregnancy, go full in with the chemos for her sake and, you know, uh, get her to where she needs to be health-wise. So, you know, in that situation, I'm like, am I in a movie? Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I, yeah. This, I know this, this, I thought I watched this on a Lifetime movie, but uh, it's reality for me. And um, Dr. Burgess- so let, me, I, let, let me cut in with just a second. So how long yeah. have you been married at this point? We were married at this point for two years. Okay, so married for two years. And it sounds like basically this happened at the end of the first trimester all the way through mm -hmm. the second trimester. And now it's decision-making time. Yes, decision-making time. And what made the decision so hard is that, I mean, there, I remember vividly them having this conversation with me in her room. And the first thing I, I, I want to do and I actually looked to do until I remember it was turn around and be like, hey baby, what, what do you want to do? But she, right. she's, right. she's in coma, right. like she, she can't talk. So I'm making a decision literally for her body, uh, what, I, what was first, first most and primary to me, but you know, uh, beyond that, of course, for our family. And it was hard because, you know, I longed for her, uh, for her take on that, you know, I longed for her, her thoughts on that, but I couldn't, I couldn't get it. Uh, so man, I, I prayed, you know, I, I, I went into about two days of prayer 
just asking God, you know, what 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 to do. Did not I think I, I think I spoke to maybe two people, um, but did not bring it up to too many because something like that. As much support as I had, there was a there was a decision that I I, I knew it was very important who I confided in to you know mm-hmm. just get some advice on. But uh, of course, ma- mainly just just praying and you know God just God just told me you know I'm gonna take care of y'all. I'm gonna take care of y'all. So. Uh, decided to go through with keeping the pregnancy from there, you know, mildly gave her the chemo drugs and, and they worked, you know, she was able to, to uh, come out the uh, induced coma. And once we hit the 28 week mark, she, um, we did the, did the emergency section and make a long story short, man, it, it was nothing short of a miracle. Uh, the baby came out healthy. He's a, he's a, a, a tall, mm-hmm. uh, tall very energetic seven-year-old boy today everything that they said might be as far as blindness and uh some other defects nothing happened um i'll tell you what else is is a miracle as well because that disorder that happens mainly in women it it the genesis of it is that there's either a tumor or teratoma on the ovaries in her case they kept doing scans on her pelvis to find where which ovary the tumor teratoma was on but they couldn't they couldn't locate it so going into the c-section they had made a decision this was another decision i had to make uh to just remove both ovaries uh because they thought that it was just so microscopic that they they knew something was there but they didn't know which one so they they would have to go in and remove both but when once they did the c-section and got after they got the c-section done and was going into removing the ovaries the doctor dr miller was her name uh she spotted with her eye uh one of the ovaries being a little fattier than the other and removed that one took it down to the lab did a test bam that's where the teratoma was so uh she was able to uh to keep the other ovaries so that's 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 i mean that's miraculous in itself man because you know i went from you know, being content with, you know, we're not going to have any more children to, well, you know, <laughs> God right, works in serious ways. <laughs> yeah, I got three now. So, yeah, yeah. So, man, that's awesome. And thank you for sharing that story. But after you go through something like that, what does it do to your faith? And what does it do to your ability to make firm decisions kind of in the future? Yeah, man, it, it tests my faith big time. Um, I mean, uh, having conversations, having hard conversations with God, I remember, I think it was in that two, within those first two weeks when we didn't know what the world was going on. And um, I mean, I, I'm at the point, Derek, of not knowing, am I going to bring my wife back home or am I going to end up having to bring her to, you know, have call a funeral home and take her to a funeral yeah. home. I mean, it got that bleak and uh, just asking God, you know, <laughs> here I am at, at, at that time, uh, what, 20, 26 years old, you know, looking at my 28-year-old wife in the ICU room on a ventilator, like, like what's, what's going on? So it really showed me two things. One, showed me um, it's one thing to say that, it's one thing to say verbally, trust God through it all. It's another thing to actually do it when, when, when you're in uh, one of your most darkest moments and you're, you're challenged to actually do that. Um, but then too, secondly, you know, as husbands, you know, you're, you're a husband, have a, have a, have a wonderful wife, wonderful family. You know, we, 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 we truly believe that there's, you know, we can't love our wives any more than what we do, but through that experience, it 
it opened my eyes to another level, another layer of love that I have for my wife that I did not know existed. You know, I, I thought at the time, there's no way I can love this woman any more than what I already do until we hit those moments and I discovered, wow, there's another layer. And I think going back to that keyword experiences, those life experiences that happens, happens to us, um, particularly when it happens uh, to couples, that it, it will reveal uh, just how much love you, you have for your significant other. Well, that's awesome. And, you know, as you were talking, one thing we, you know, think about with pregnancy, you don't necessarily think about loss of a life. You think about gaining a life, right? Yeah. But sometimes it really is that women are putting themselves in danger to have a baby, you know, and that's something that is overlooked many times. You know, it's just a routine thing. You think you get pregnant, nine months later, you have a baby. But as you can see, this is not always the case. So glad that there was a happy ending to the story. And like you said, the story goes on. Maybe number three, maybe five to come, right? <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So you mentioned being from Atlanta and ended up back in North Alabama. When you came to school there, did you say, man, this is awesome. I want to come back and be a pastor in North Alabama. Was that the dream? <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Uh, yeah. I knew that because my wife's from Madison. So, you know, uh, she, we met at UNA, we went to University of North Alabama. That's where we met. Right. Uh, and then when I went to Atlanta, you know, for graduate school, I, and I love Atlanta, man, still, still love that's it. That's home, but, right? You know, that's home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, 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 no. Yeah. Well, it was my second home because Florence, I mean, Florence is my native. I'm, I'm born in Florence. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, born in Florence, but uh, my mom joined the military. So we were kind of somewhat everywhere. I ended, up, I ended up graduating high school in Oklahoma, but came back to to the show's area after high school to go to UNA, after graduating UNA, left to go to Atlanta. Um, and I had always told myself that, you know, I would eventually come back to the show's area because, you know, my, my, all my family are, are here, uh, but I was not anticipating on come back that soon. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I was trying to enjoy and live it up being young in Atlanta, man. And, uh, right. you know, so, yeah. so the decision to come back, uh, I mean, I'm being real, it, it was by force, not by choice. Um, so, you know, Going back to the story, she make it out the hospital. We get home. Miles, our oldest son, he's you know born premature, so he's in the NICU for three months. Um, so when he gets home in March of 2016, he's at home with us. But here is Tandra, who is just fresh out the hospital herself in the recovery of that particular type of encephalitis. Encephalitis. It's about a year and a half, and I'm taking care of her take care of him. And I'm like, you know, I got friends and people that, you know, support <laughs> us in Atlanta, but you know, it's, it's, you know, I, I knew that, you know, as they say, there's nothing like family. So it was a decision, a tough decision I had to make to move back here again, not by choice, but by force, just to get the help that I, I desperately needed. Cause man, I was training myself cause I was on top of that still had to make some money. So still working and taking care of them. And it, it was just too much. Uh, and even that period, Dr. Burgess, I, I share this. It got depressing for me, man, to have to make that transition from Atlanta back home. And there's no shot against the show's area. Yeah, but at the time, yeah, at the at the time, I, I viewed it as as a setback. I, I, I viewed it. I viewed it as, um, you know, uh, demotion, if you will, um, because I've always had a job. I mean, from 16 years old in high school, working at Outback Steakhouse, 
busting tables, which is why I don't eat at Outback Steakhouse today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but busting tables, man, at, at UNA held at least two, uh, if not three three jobs at a time. Even when I moved to Atlanta, uh, I mean, hustling and bustling, man, working two jobs, working at the church as youth, youth pastor, working uh, at my university as, as, uh, as an admissions representative. Uh, so moving back here, it's the first time since I can remember being able to legally work that I was not working, that I, I did not have a job. And as a man, as somebody, I know you can attest to this and, and relate to it, you know, being secured and knowing that I'm, I'm making ends meet. Um, right. I came back here, man. I, I applied for a job at UNA because, you know, I, I have a higher ed background as far as my, my employment. Applied for a job at UNA, didn't get it. Applied for a job at a Northwest shows, didn't get it. Uh, applied, was up for a church, not Bethel Carver, but another church in the area and didn't get it. So each time it was just like, you know, getting getting these denials and each one was just a stake in the heart, man. And it, it really put me in a depressive state. Um, but again, just not knowing the plan that God was working out through it all. Uh, and of course, uh, being, you know, Bethel Carver, which I had no, 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 I did not come after Bethel Carver. You know, they, they came after me and just seeing how all that formulated, I look back at it. It was, it was definitely part of God's plan. If you're enjoying this episode, don't wait to the end to share it. Share it now. Share this with a friend or a colleague that you think might find value in this information. And then also, Make sure that you click and leave us a five-star review and give us feedback because we really value your feedback and your input. Now back to the episode. Absolutely. And as you're talking now, you know, not only are you a pastor, but you're also um, a pastor for hospice, right? So being yeah. able to go through all these life experiences and you know, even being able to go through the denial phase. I mean, I've gone through failures. I've gone through rejection. I've gone through, you know, losing a job early on and having to rebound. And like you mentioned, I went from New Orleans to DC to, you know, Mississippi. And I'm like, wow. And like you said, you get used to the big city and it's almost like it's a devotion because when I was coming out, I was looking for Metro Atlanta and I talked to a recruiter. He said, I have the perfect job for you. It's in Laurel, Mississippi. I said, no, you misunderstood. I said, Metro Atlanta. <laughs> so people say, did you have a connection to Laurel? I said, yeah, I used to drive through Laurel going to New Orleans on my way to school. And I knew Laurel because it had this S curve that you had to slow down to 45 miles per hour. But that was the only thing that I really knew about the city. However, I didn't know that once I took the job, it was really what I needed um, to be able to take a leadership position and be able to learn my craft and grow myself, you know? So many times what we have in mind, you know, I always like to say we make plans, but then God laughs at them, right? Mm -hmm. um, because he knows what we really need versus what we feel that we need at times. Yeah, man. And it's, it's true. It's crazy. That's, that's, you know, it's talk, again, 
And I, I feel like the, the theme of, of uh, you know, what we're discussing is just, just experiences because it's a reminder that we may not know as when we're in the moment of that depression and that sadness and that, mm-hmm. you know, that, that frustration of just not knowing what in the world is going on. God is building an experience for us. God, God is building a testimony for us, you know, right. as, as, yeah. we, as we know, you know, that, you know, there's no testimony without what a test. So it's, yeah. it's a test that we're in that we just have, we have to be confident that, you know, at the end, it, it, it'll work out. Absolutely. Absolutely. So as you mentioned, you know, young pastor, Atlanta, growing up in the area, going to school in the area, leadership, politician. I'm not going to lie. When I met you, I'm like, Dr. Martin Luther King. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so let's speak about in my previous episode, I shared actually, you were at that um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Scholarship Foundation when I spoke. But speak to me about somebody, you know, a young man, and you're a visionary. But when you t- hear about Dr. Martin Luther King's dream, what that means to you? The life of Dr. King is something that I, I, I aspire not, not, not to be equated to. Uh, but that I, I aspire to just pick up the mantle and, and continue on. Um, you know, he was a, a young pastor, uh, kind of a politician in his own vein, as far as just speaking truth to power and, uh, you know, things that he was involved with. And one of my models is I believe everybody should be able to look back on their life and say, I'm glad I did instead of I wish I would have. Yeah, I like that. You know, yeah, if 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 you want to know where the most goals, dreams, and aspirations, let me rephrase it. If you want to know where the most untapped and undiscovered goals, dreams, and aspirations are, just visit the nearest cemetery. Yeah. Because there are people who die every day who in their mind and in their thoughts and literally in their hearts, wanted to do something and aspire to have dreams, have goals, but never, you know, for whatever reason, set out to do it, man. So that, that's how I function, man. I, 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 I mean, Nike, I, I just do it. Uh, there, there, there's nothing that I, I believe I could put my, anything I put my mind to, there, there's nothing or nobody, there's not anybody, any, anything that can stop it but me. So, you know, pursuing that path as far as a politician, I, I recently ran for office here in our area, ran for state representative district three. Uh, that, that was something I, that was always in me. I've always been a political nerd, a political junkie. Uh, in fact, I, I share this because I, I, I people have people laugh. Uh, my, my degree from UNA, my bachelor's degree is in political science. So at that time, I actually was planning to go to law school afterwards and, you know, go into that field. But, you know, God had uh, changed their course and you know I, I showed me you know that my calling was to uh, go into full-time ministry which is why I shifted from going to law school to going to seminary instead and I always joking I always say that God changed my journey and my own path from being a, a high-paid prosecutor to a low-paid pastor <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but uh it's, it's something that I, I've always even though I didn't go to law school I've always been very involved in my community here uh, politically, being in the know, attending, uh, you know, council meetings, uh, going out in Montgomery and, and protesting, rally, you know, being at rallies. I'm, I'm, I'm an activist in the area. So uh, when the state representative for District 3 seat, it was an open seat. I talked to some people, you know, of course, talked to the wife and I said, you know, 
I've always wanted to do this, <laughs> so might as well do it now. So and we, mm-hmm. we we did great. We we won the primary, uh, did not win the general election in November, which I knew it was going to be a tough hill to climb. Um, I mean, I'm a newcomer, 34 years old, never ran for office before, but man, we, we ran a heck of a campaign. And I and I, I had fun. Every time somebody, I ran into a neighbor today, he asked me about, you know, how it's like now, now that I'm not campaigning. He was just asking me about the experience. And I tell everybody the same thing. I mean, it, it was fun. I mean, I had fun uh, because I did something that I've always wanted to do. And I, I, I encourage people, especially young people, to do that. Uh, I mean, no, no matter what it is, you know, even running for office, there's no there's no age limit on when you can run for office. You know, I'm 34. You don't have to wait till you in your 50s. You don't have to wait until, you know, you have this experience or that experience. You know, if that's something that you want to do, just 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 do it and, and enjoy the ride. Yeah. As you said that, you know, many times there's only going to be a one winner from an election. Right. But losing, what does that really mean? You know, I feel like on the roads to success, they say fail fast, fail forward. Right. You know, if you don't fail many times, you're not going to learn and grow. So you yep. have that loss, so to speak, out of the way or under your belt. Now you have the experience that you can grow from. So how did you, when you, you know, the election results come back and you see you did not win the election, so to speak. What's your your take on that? It was hard because, I mean, I, I worked my tail off, man. Yeah. Um, I, I, I really did. And just, you know, not, not seeing the results of what the hard work I put in. Uh, but again, understanding the, the political climate, I mean, in Alabama, I, I, I ran as a Democrat, so I, right. I, I knew I knew it would be tough, but I was, there was still that, that hope that, you know, people would appreciate uh, seeing the, the, the passion and the, and the hard work ethic I put in there. But uh, the next day, I was good, man. Um, I really was, you know, because I still had a wife, I still had a kid, still had a family, still had a church, still had a home to go to. And uh, still had a, a job to go to that that I enjoyed, and I really did learn from it. You know, um, a lot of people ask me, "Am I going to do it again?" I, I can see myself doing it again. It may not be immediately, but I can see myself eventually doing it again. And from that experience, I had there are a lot of takeaways. There are a lot of things I learned that I know that whenever uh, the time comes that I, I run again, there will be some things that I maneuver, some things that I adjust. Um, but the even in losing opportunities man have come out the woodworks uh just because i put myself out there people became familiar with me uh speaking engagements uh this first part of the year uh i'm talking about i'm talking outside of church church life i'm not talking about just preaching talking about you know solid speaking engagements to organizations and schools uh are, are building up like that and was all because of what i did as far as running and people you know um being uh, impressed with what I had to pre- pre- what what I had to present. So even though I lost, I'm still um, I'm still reaping some some blessings from 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 just trying. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, on time out with the sports doctor, this is your final time out. So first, you know, thank you for sharing all that you shared as far as life stories and in sickness and in health and that journey and the, you know your walk to becoming a pastor at such an early age. So, you know, let's speak now to someone who it might be stifled by fear of taking that first step or afraid because of what if, you know, what if I lose? What if I don't succeed? Speak to that person about why you have to get moving and you have to take that step 
first step before you can succeed? As far as the questions of, of, of what if or, or what's out there or what does that look like? You never know until you until you do it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. um, I mean, what you may be able to discover that's out there. I'm, it's funny you ask that question because we've been your, your parents could tell you this. Uh, I've been preaching a sermon series about launching out into the deep uh, coming from that story in Luke chapter five, uh, when Peter, he spent the whole night fishing and he had caught nothing. I mean, all night fishing. He got up the next morning or he, he the next morning the sun rose. So he, he was on the verge of giving up. He was the verge of saying, I'm done with this. You know, um, I'm about to call it quits. But then Jesus comes along. He tells Peter, he says, go back, grab your rod, grab your net, get in a boat, go out back out there, fish again. But he says, go deeper. He says, launch out into the deep. And when Peter did that, um, the story goes that he caught so much fish that the net broke. He caught so much fish that it not only filled his boat, but other people who were with him, it filled their boats. But it was all because Peter decided to step out on faith and go deeper, go further, go beyond. And again, you, you, you will never give yourself a chance to discover what lies beyond out there in the deep until you actually go out there. So bank on yourself, bank on God. Of course, I'm a believer in listening to the voice uh, of, of the Lord, what God is telling you and knowing that uh, even if God is telling you to go further, even if God is telling you to step out, it may be something that you're not comfortable with. It may be something that concerns you, um, but God is never gonna tell you to go somewhere in which it's gonna lead to failure. All one of, one of my other mantras that God, God will never lead you to a place of failure. Um, you know, you may go through some stumbling blocks to get there that feel like it's failure, but right. by the end of the journey, by the end of the journey, um, because God told you to step out and because, again, what God says has no choice but to be successful, it, it'll work out for you. Absolutely, man. Thank you for that. That's You just gave me my title, Go Deeper. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah. Well, Tell people how, number one, somebody might have listened to this and been really inspired and want to connect with you, but somebody might have listened to this and said, wow, what's this faith that he's talking about? What's this inspiration? Where is he getting that faith from? You know, what's this connection with Jesus or what's, what's this faith that he's speaking of? So just tell people kind of if they're feeling that, how, number one, they can connect with you or how they can take next steps uh, with their faith. Yeah, so you can connect with me. Uh, my name is, again, Wesley Thompson. I'm on uh, Facebook, uh, Instagram, uh, Twitter. Um, I created a TikTok a while back. I haven't used it as much as I need to, but I do have a TikTok <laughs> out there. Uh, but yeah, just 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 type my name. And uh, I think my, my my handle for Twitter and, and Instagram is uh, Wes Thompson uh, 1906. And then uh, on uh, Facebook is just Minister Wesley Thompson. Uh, and as far as, you know, anybody who, you know, wants to know about, you know, this faith and, you know, steps they can take. Uh, man, God has been good to me, man. You know, again, going through those experiences, I recognized that it was something that, again, prepared me. So even as a pastor, when I am challenged to go visit somebody in the hospital and they're dying and I'm there holding a family member's hand and encouraging them, I can recall being in the hospital myself 
literally seeing a loved one dying in my wife, even though that we know, thank God that did not that was that was not the end result, but but it, it got there. Um, so um, I'm able to take my own experiences and look at them, and, and again know what God was doing, and know that God was prepping me to be able to be a blessing to others, to be able to to not be fearful or timid or shy or doubtful about my ability to minister and comfort and, and, and pray with other people who are in their most darkest moments because I've been there myself. So, um, yeah, that's the power of God is incredible. And I, I, I would encourage anybody to give them, give themselves the opportunity to, to experience it. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, man. Well, I appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on. I can't wait to share this story uh, with my audience. Yes, sir. Thank you, man. Appreciate you. I'm proud of you all, all the great work you're doing. Keep it up. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for continuing to support this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a five-star review. And if you haven't done so, subscribe so you continue to get the updated episode. Until later, peace.